1: And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice,
0: and the American way?
2: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 65 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Jumo. On this episode, we're going to look at episode 6 and 7 of season 6 of The Adventures of Superman, The Superman Silver Mine, and The Big Forget. Now, I must say, it's awful strange to sit here knowing that I am just about to the end of my coverage of The Adventures of Superman. It's been a long road, both uh, on my own and with Bob Fisher, and, uh, you know, it's been a very rewarding road. And I am glad that many of you have stuck around for for the journey. You know, it's, it was a fun journey to get to this point, and it's going to be an even more of a fun journey down the road. Before we get to this episode's business, I just want to announce that the show is going to be going on a little bit of a hiatus after I complete my coverage of The Adventures of Superman. Don't think that, you know, now just because I've joined the Two True Freaks Network that I'm going to close up the show being that I've got a place to stick the feed. No, that's not the case at all. Basically what's happened is over the past year, I really want to say since last summer, production has not been as far ahead as I would like it to be. Bob and I have kind of started getting ahead in a little bit in the past month or so, but at the end of the day, I don't want to be the weekly show that disappears for an extended period of time and then doesn't come back or doesn't announce that he's going to disappear and have people wondering what's going to happen. Basically, what's going to happen is I am going to conclude my coverage of the Adventures of Superman with episode 69 and. And that is scheduled to drop on June 20th. So, you're still going to have about a month month or so of episodes to go to listen to before I go away for the summer. You know, basically also, in addition to just wanting to get ahead on the recording is my girlfriend Stacey and I are expecting our second child over the summer. And I want to make sure I'm well ahead of the game before uh, a baby is born. So, there's also that. Real life, you know, sometimes gets in the way of hobbies. But, you know, like I mentioned before, I don't want to be the show that disappears and you're left to wonder... What happened? So, here is the plan going forward. I'm going to wrap up coverage of The Adventures of Superman with Episode 69 on June 20th. After that, Episode 70 is going to be a couple of unaired projects that kind of happened between the end of The Adventures of Superman and before The New Adventures of Superman, the filmation cartoons in 1966. So, there's about a eight-year gap between Adventures and New Adventures. There were two projects that were done... Neither of which were aired. The first was produced in 1958. That was an unaired pilot called Super Pup. And then there was the unaired Superboy pilot from 1961. I'm going to cover both of those on episode 70. And that I am going to drop on August 1st. You know, it's kind of a standalone thing. I see no problems just kind of dropping that in the middle of the summer and letting that kind of sit where it is for a while. And then my plan is to come back with New Adventures of Superman on Tuesday, September 5th, and go weekly again from there. So hopefully I'll have a chance over the summer to get a whole bunch of stuff recorded that way. I'm ahead enough that the weekly show doesn't become a burden, because those of you who are podcasters and have done a weekly show, it can kill you. And I'll confess, there, are a couple, there have been a couple of times, both recording and editing, that I've caught myself dozing. So just want to rest up a little bit so I can deliver the best show possible. And... I don't expect that I'm going to go away by any stretch of the imagination. I still plan to do the Fear of the Walking Dead cast with Scott McGregor and Brian and Beth Hughes and Sarah Tonin. And I'm probably going to drop a couple of Manor screen extras along the way. So I'm not going away, just I want the weekly show to be as good as it can be, so I feel by taking a taking a break after, you know, a big stretch, which if I just me, I was, it's been I started this with episode 16. No I, no, I started this episode 15, and I'm going to end it in episode 69. So that's a pretty long stretch. And just take a break, recharge the batteries, and come back strong for the 30 weeks of New Adventures of Superman. So, again, I always want to thank everybody for listening, and I want to be as upfront with you guys as I can. Because without you guys, I'm just kind of a voice in the wilderness. So... But that being said, I'm going to move on to some feedback that I've got from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode 58 in which I discussed Money to Burn and Close Shave. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Well, you found me out, sir. You commented on my email mentioning that the Jolly Roger was a bad episode, but that I didn't hate it. By saying you didn't think I was capable of hating any episode of this series. This is true. I have a couple of friends who have each told me, separately and independently, that they consider me the world's biggest Superman apologist, because of my tendency to advocate for Superman, his friends, and pretty much any superhero in the DC Universe, even including Bouncing Boy and Matter Eater Lad of the Legion of Superheroes. I plead guilty to that. While there are some stories I dislike, don't get me started on whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow by Alan Moore. Don't worry, Dave, I won't. I have an overriding affection for Superman, his friends, both super and human, and the adventures of Superman especially because this was the first live action Superman I ever saw. That I will always look back on these episodes with the kindest light possible. Of course you're also correct in pointing out that Superman doesn't develop any new powers in season 5. I was jumping the gun with anticipation of some truly odd new powers he develops in season 6. Money to Burn was a good story. I think, although even as a kid, I did pick up on the Perry White doesn't drink coffee clue, when I was a kid, I hardly knew any adult who didn't drink coffee, so I couldn't imagine that Perry didn't, or if he truly didn't, that no one had ever commented on that oddity before. I couldn't be sure of myself in questioning this until seeing The Secret of Superman in a rerun again, and seeing Perry drinking drugged coffee. It really wasn't a necessary point in Money to Burn, since Fireman's friends certainly saw Perry White at the warehouse fire, and needn't have made up the lie about serving him coffee. I guess the writers wanted to give the viewers a clue that even the kids would have picked up on. Close Shave was a strange story. The barber, Tony, exhibits something that's virtually a superpower with his remarkable power of persuasion, but it's not explored as fully as it could have been. In fact, that might have been a better episode of The Twilight Zone than The Adventures of Superman. Like you, I really did enjoy the effect of Superman's cooling off his hands before shaking Rick's hand. Normally the writers of the show didn't even consider such a potential for Superman to harm an ordinary human being in such a fashion, and as a kid, I'd never have thought of that but it certainly makes some sense. I am looking forward to the return of our friend Professor Pepperwinkle in the phony alibi. He's always fun. Live long and prosper, Dave Beckelvenny. Thank you, Dave. I'd like to thank you for sending that letter in. I always appreciate your feedback, and, you know, on whether or not he's a Superman apologist or even a DC Universe apologist, I need to point out that Bouncing Boy and Matter-Eating Lad probably need all the apologists they can get. And in addition to... Dave mentioned the secret of Superman as far as Perry drinking coffee. If you recall from Great Caesar's Ghost, one of the gang members delivered Perry a coffee, and he said it had two lumps of sugar, and Perry did confirm that two lumps of sugar is what he takes with his coffee. So, you know, the writers are are consistent with some things throughout the show, but not others. And I really don't have anything to add to Dave's letter on close shave. You know, like he mentioned, it was a strange story, but not a bad one, and I enjoyed it. And... I'm glad Dave was looking forward to the phony alibi. I enjoyed that one, and you know I enjoy anything anytime Professor Pepperwinkle is on the screen. She's just a treat, as you're gonna see in this episode. But before we get to this episode, I've got another piece of feedback, and this is from Dave's iTunes Alter Ego, Halkar. Dave is Dave has written the first iTunes review for the show that appears on the on my new feed over on the Two True Freaks Network, which you can find now on itunes if you do a search on itunes and i maybe should have mentioned this earlier you will have to subscribe to the new itunes feed it'll say the man Screen podcast by two true freaks that's the one you'll want to subscribe to because after the may 30th episode probably around june 1st the podomatic feed will be deleted everything that you'll need is over at the two true freaks feed so dave writes in his review he's it's titled superman on the big screen and the small screen and it's a five-star review I've been listening to the Man of Screen podcast for about a year now, from the earliest episodes covering the Fleischer cartoon shorts, through the Kirk Allen serials of the 1940s, and currently the Adventures of Superman TV show from the 1950s, as well as the bonus extra episodes covering more current topics, such as the use of the Superman character in the Supergirl TV series, as well as some non-Superman topics such as the Suicide Squad movie. In all of these, host Mike Zumo and frequent guest and co-host Bob Fisher clearly display extensive knowledge of and passion for the character of Superman, as well as his supporting cast and the actors who portray them in various incarnations on both the big and small screen. This podcast is obviously well-researched and well-produced. If you're a Superman fan, especially of his portrayals in movies, animation, and TV, I really think you'll enjoy this one. It is a true delight. So, I'd like to thank Hal Carr for his review and you can also leave reviews on itunes on the two true freaks itunes feed that'll help people find the show so with those read i'm going to take a quick break play a podcast promo and then i'm going to come back with the superman silver mine hang around folks
0: hey everybody i'm paul spitaro i don't know if you know me but i'm a regular on back to the bins along with my friends dr bill robinson hello and mr scott gardner hey how's it going Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to back to the bins to listen to our show you can find us at twotruefreaks.com
2: all right welcome back folks we're going to head right into the superman silver mine original broadcast date was march 10th 1958 writer was peggy Chandler, and director was george blair guest cast is deb's greer as harrison pebble and dan doby and charles maxwell as boris a short one And now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Having struck it rich in his 30 years as a prospector, Harrison Pebble wishes to give it, give to those in need. Both the Daily Planet and Superman are actively involved in the Children's Camp Fund.
1: Oh, Superman, this is Mr. Pebble. He says he has some important business to discuss with you.
2: Mr.
3: Pebble, sir. Howdy. You know I've heard a heap about you, but I never thought I'd get to shake your hand. (laughs) Well, I'll get right to the point. Now, I know this here newspaper, and and you too, take a lot of interest in the children's camp fund.
4: Well, nobody does more for the camp fund than Superman.
3: Well, that's what I mean. I aim to help a little, too. That's very generous of you, sir. You'll make a lot of youngsters very happy.
4: It's wonderful.
3: Well, heck, I don't want no credit. I got this big piece of land I figured would make a pretty good campsite for the kids to have their vacation at.
5: Well, I'm sure the committee would be very interested, sir. And the site's important, very important indeed. But our main problem is money. See, we need money to build and maintain such a
3: camp. Oh, I know. But I figured this campsite would be self-supporting. See, there's a pretty good silver mine right on the property. Well.
2: <laughs> Which in your honor, sir, I've named the Superman Silver Mine. Gangster Dan Doby and his henchman Boris have been in a slump lately. However, Lois Lane's article on Harrison Pebble and the Superman Silver Mine in the planet give them an idea. Doby is a dead ringer for Pebble. The only difference is are Doby has no mustache, and he has a metal plate in his head from an injury to his skull in an automobile accident. Dan Doby could pass himself off as Pebble without any problems. Should he be able to do so, the Superman Silver Mine and its wealth could fall into the criminal's greedy hands. Forrest has gone to Harrison Pebble's new apartment in the Brentwood suburb of Metropolis.
3: Mr. Pebble? Well, it was yesterday and the day before. I guess I still am. Come on in, son. stage business. Yeah. Height can't be more than a quarter of an inch off. What are you, about 5'11"? 5'11 quarter. Yeah, that's like I said. Weight looks about right, too. Uh, maybe 175. 176. Close enough. Look, if you're figuring on selling me clothes, I don't need any. Blue eyes, sandy hair, you know, you couldn't be right there. Okay, let's go. blur. Out! You and me are going to take a little ride. Well, I'm sorry, I've been planning on catching up on some television watching. Good day, sir. Shall we go? Guess we better. Yeah. Better put the door on the latch, too. I got a hunch somebody might like to come in here.
2: And remember, this gun can shoot right through my pocket. Okay, you first. Pebble has taken to the hills and locked in a cave with a steel door. If he doesn't give Doby the location of the Superman Silver Mine, the prospector will meet a horrible end. Pebble will not get any food or water until Doby has the mine, and the philanthropist could spend weeks trapped in a secluded hideaway. Nobody at the Daily Planet knows where the Superman Silver Mine is, as Mr. Pebble has not told them yet. Lois has called him to ask, but she is suspicious. So where's the mine located?
4: I still don't know. He said there was some sort of legal hocus-pocus to attend to. Well, that could be. Oh, I guess so. But yesterday, he said he was looking forward to watching television for the first time in his life.
5: Well, you ask him how he liked it, what'd he say?
4: He said he was watching all his favorite programs. If you've never seen television, how can you have favorite programs? If you've
5: never seen television, they can all be favorites.
4: Oh, maybe. I don't know.
5: Well, I wouldn't worry about it, Lois.
4: I just didn't like the way he was talking.
2: He's eccentric, forget it. I guess so. She does well to have him, for she was really talking with Dan Doby. The Children's Camp Fund is yet to see any proof of the donated land in the Superman Silver Mine. Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson tells Jimmy Olsen, Lois, and Clark of Harris and Pebbles' resemblance to Dan Doby. This Mr. Pebbles you did a story on, are you you sure he's legitimate?
4: Well, he seemed very sincere and very likable. Yes,
5: why do you ask, Bill? because he bears a striking resemblance to a pretty smooth character named Dan Doby. A crook? We've never actually been able to get anything on him, but we do know a couple of things about him. He has a sidekick named Boris, or something or other, on whom we don't even have a picture. And Doby has a plate in his head.
6: That's a funny place to keep a plate.
5: <laughs> well, this one's a metal plate, Jimmy, to replace part of his skull, which was smashed in an automobile accident.
4: I still wonder about
5: him. Now, wait a minute, everybody. Here's a perfectly nice guy who's making a very generous contribution to the children's camp fund.
4: Which the camp fund hasn't yet received.
5: Because of some very ordinary legal steps that have to be taken.
6: He seemed like a very nice man.
5: Yes, he probably is. I guess it's just the nature of policemen to be suspicious. Well, anyone for lunch? Thought you'd never spring. I'd like to go.
4: Oh, Jim, if you don't mind, there's something I'd like to talk to you about.
6: Okay. So long, Inspector Henderson, Mr. Kent. Bye Bye now.
4: Ooh, that Clark Kent. Sometimes he can't smell a story right under his own nose.
6: You think there's some connection between Mr. Pebble and this Dobie character?
4: I don't know what the connection is, Jim, but that's exactly what I think. Well, if
6: Dobie and Mr. Pebble were the same person, you could tell by the plate in his head.
4: Well, sure, if you could see it. Why couldn't you see it? Because the scalp grows over and the hair covers it. Oh, well, I'm going out and pay Mr. Pebble a nice, friendly visit. Want to come along? What for? For company. Who knows, I might need a little protection.
7: Well,
2: when you appeal to my chivalrous instinct, I can't resist. Shall we go? All this information leads Lois and Jimmy to go to Mr. Pebble's Brentwood home.
4: How do you do? We don't want any.
2: That's good, because we don't have any.
4: Is Mr. Pebble in?
2: Who wants to know?
4: Well, I'm Lois Lane, and this is Jimmy Olson. We're from the Daily Planet.
3: Howdy, folks.
4: Well, how do you do, Mr. Peller? Right.
3: Hi. Won't you come in and set us spell? Mm-hmm. Oh, this here's my buddy. Uh, my name is Bordelais. Bordelais? Isn't that a French sauce or something? Yeah, his grandpappy on his mother's side was French.
6: My granddad was Swedish, but they don't call me smorgasbord. Jimmy, how do you do?
3: Hi. Hello, Mr. Bordelais. Hey, hey, why don't you rustle up something cool to drink for these nice folks? Oh, yeah. Sit down. Take the load off your feet.
4: Thank you interesting mustache you have Mr. Pebble. Why
3: thank you. You
6: don't see many like that around these days.
3: No I reckon not. It's uh, it's a relic of the old west. I'm thinking about shaving it off.
4: Oh I wouldn't if I were you. It's very becoming.
3: You really think so?
4: I certainly do. The only thing is you've got it on a little crooked.
3: You shouldn't have done that Miss Lane.
4: What are you up to Mr. Doby?
3: Nothing you're ever going to be able to tell anybody about.
2: Now both reporters are locked in with Mr. Pebble
3: this here fellow Doby just took over my identity, huh?
4: That's right. Far as everyone knows, he's you.
3: He's living it up pretty good, too, with your apartment, your bank account, your car. Well, there's one thing he hadn't got. That's the Superman silver mine. There's one thing we haven't
6: got. It's a way to get out of here. That crack in the roof, it's large enough to let some air in, but it's not large enough to get out of.
4: Hey. How about if we take some of the oil out of this lamp and burn the door down?
3: suffocate before we get out of here. Well, that's for sure.
4: Well, if we don't turn up, someone's bound to start looking for us.
3: Well, I just hope it's pretty soon. I feel like I never had nothing to eat or drink in my whole life. You've been here a lot longer than we have.
4: You know, you must be starved. All you have to do is tell them where that mine is. No,
3: I'm again telling them as long as I can hold out. Good for you.
4: I don't want to see Toby get that mine any more than you do. Besides, as long as you don't tell him, you have something he wants to know, and he'll keep you around. If you tell him, I don't know how long any of us will be around.
2: Nobody has heard from Lois and Jimmy since they left to talk to Harris and Pebble yesterday. Oh, good morning, Bill. Morning, Ken.
5: And what brings you out so nice and bright and early? A call from Jimmy Olson's mother. Jimmy wasn't home all night. He wasn't? Well, that's not like Jimmy at all. Not a telephone call or anything. She seems pretty worried. I don't blame her. I am, too. When was the last time you saw him? Well, you remember, Bill, yesterday when you took me to lunch. We left him right here with Lois, didn't we? Yeah. Do you suppose Lois knows anything about it? We'll find out in a hurry. Uh, ask Miss Lane to step into my office right away, will you please? She hasn't? And you can't get her at home either? I see. Well, thank you very much. Maybe she's on her way in, Bill. And again, maybe she's with Young Olson, wherever that is. You know, I have a hunch, somehow, that, uh, Dobie's mixed up in this. Now, what makes you think that? Well, you remember, she seemed to smell something fishy. Now, maybe they went out to track down a story I know, I know. You're still concerned about Dobie and Pebble looking alike. Well, except for the mustache, they're dead ringers. Yes, but they won't have the same fingerprints. Unless they're the same person, of course. Unfortunately, Dobie has never even been fingerprinted. I told you he was a pretty slick customer. But you do know he has a metal plate in his head. Sure. Now, let's assume that Pebble and Doby are two different people. If I arrest Pebble and take him down to headquarters and x-ray his skull, he's got a great case of false arrest against us. Not if he's a legitimate person. Still, Pebble could be a real phony. Did it ever occur to you that he made this generous contribution to the camp fund simply for conversation? By golly, you're right, Bill. He never did give us the location of the mine or even give us a deed to it. Correct. But there's still no reason for him to want to harm Lois or Jimmy. Not unless they stumbled on something that might get in the way of his plans. Hmm. I think I'll just pay a little call, Mr. Pebble. If he is Pebble, he won't have a metal plate in his head. If he's Dobie, or Pebble and Dobie, he will. How are you going to find out? Hit him on the head to see if it rings or use your X-ray vision like Superman? (laughs) Well, one way or the other, Bill, one way or the other. (laughs) Want to come along? No, thanks. I've got a date with the commissioner, but keep me informed, would you? Oh, I sure will. I want to find
2: out a little bit more about that mine myself. Clark Kent has just paid a visit to Pebble.
5: Good morning. Mr. Pebble in? Who's asking? Clark Kent. I'm from the Daily Planet. Oh, yeah, I see. Uh, well, My name's um, uh, Bordelais. I'm a, I'm a buddy of his. Oh, I see. How do you do, Mr. Bordelais? I just thought I'd drop in and pass the time of day with Mr. Pebble. Is he in? Yeah, well, he's still asleep. I'll tell you, why don't you come back a little later? Well, I would, but I know he'll be getting up any minute after all those years of Prospector's Hours. What is that? Uh, That, uh... uh, uh, That's,
6: uh... Oh, that's a lock from his donkey's mane.
5: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Mr. Pebble's a very sentimental guy. He's very sentimental. He must be. Also very stylish. He's the only Prospector I ever heard of that had a donkey to match his mustache. (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you, he's probably waking up. Why don't I just take a look, huh? Why don't you just go do that? Yeah.
2: Boss,
0: boss, put this on quick. There's a guy out there named Clark Kent. He says he's from the Daily Planet.
3: Is it on straight? Yeah, 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 it's fine. Do I know him? I mean, does Pebble know him? Well, I don't think so. Pebble told me the only guys he met down at the paper were Perry White That lame girl, a kid named Jimmy Olsen, and Superman. Good. Howdy, Mr. Kent. I've heard a lot about you. I'm glad to make your acquaintance. Howdy, Mr. Pebble. I just thought I'd drop in and say hello. Well, I'm right glad you did. Have a seat. Well, thank you very much, sir, but I just have a minute. Oh, that's too bad. Well, how are your friends, that young ocean, pretty Miss Lane? Well, they were just fine. The last time I saw them... Well, say howdy do them for me. Oh, I'll do that, Mr.
5: Pebble. I'll just do that. Oh, just one more thing. The Superman Silver Mine. So that's
3: the sweetest little mine you ever saw? Well, I imagine it is.
5: Well, that's the trouble, you see. I've never seen it. And since you were generous enough to donate to the Children's Camp Fund, well, the
3: directors are sort of wondering when they're going to receive their deed. Well, I don't fret none about that. I'm having the papers drew up right now.
5: Oh, I'm very glad to hear that,
3: sir. And one more
5: thing. Uh, What's the location of the mine? Oh, it's out there in the hill.
3: That's the prettiest mine you ever saw. I'll just bet it is. I'll be seeing you, sir. Well, so long, partner. So long,
2: Mr. Pebble. Now he must wait for Doby and Boris to leave, for it may be the only way for Superman to find Lois, Jimmy, and Mr. Pebble before it's too late to rescue them. Superman has managed to follow Boris and Doby. They are losing patience with Pebble. If he doesn't tell them where the Superman silver mine is, they will kill him. Superman arrives just in time to stop Boris and his bullets. As Doby makes his getaway, the Metropolis Marvel frees Mr. Pebble, Lois, and Jimmy. He then bends a large pipe into a horseshoe shape. His powerful eyes magnetize the object, allowing Superman to capture Dan Doby with the force of the object. (laughs)
6: Golly! Well, that's the first time I ever saw anybody captured by a magnet.
5: Well, Jimmy, that was just because of the metal plate in his head.
3: You know, I reckon I owe you a whole bushel of thanks. If it hadn't been for you, I'd have told them where the mine is.
5: Incidentally, Mr. Pebble, just where is this mine?
3: Well, if them crooks had spent more time digging and less time starving us, they'd have found it. We're standing on it.
2: Here?
4: Right here! <laughs> Alright,
2: you know, that is, you know, it's an okay episode. There's nothing uh, horrible or great about it. It's just, you know, a forgettable episode of The Avengers of Superman, but an enjoyable one. Just, you know, not one that I'm going to stick in the DVD player just to watch. If I'm going to watch an episode, I'm going to watch Divide and or The Mysterious Cube. Not this one. One note on Dab's Greer, you know, we've seen him a few times. Way back in Superman on Earth, he was the guy who was hanging from the blimp, and he appeared again in uh, the Season 2 episode, Five Minutes to Doom, and a handful of others. So he's definitely no stranger to the adventures of Superman, and he had to do a little overtime here as he plays the role of two separate characters, both Dan Doby and Mr. Pebble. And we open with Mr. Pebble introducing himself to Perry, Lois, and Jimmy, and he was looking for Superman as well. And apparently, I don't know, if maybe Clark was sitting in his office listening to what was going on, but... He smiles and then changes into Superman. Basically, Pebble wants to donate a campsite. And Superman says, you know, thanks for that, but we really need money. You know, nice, Superman. Here's a rich guy who wants to donate some land to you. And you say, nah, we want the cash instead. You know, and I guess I see Superman's point, you know. The, having the land is worthless if you don't have the funds to maintain it or build it up to suit the camp's purposes. But, but apparently, uh, the campsite that Pebble wants to donate is right on top of a silver mine. So, I guess that gives it an unlimited supply of money and... uh as the Daily Planet crew gets all excited about the prospect of having this new facility. And now it seems here that Superman is kind of speaking for the committee. You know, one thing I'm starting to wonder is, does he actually go to these committee meetings in costume? Can you imagine Superman sitting at a volunteer board meeting? I'm sure it's something he would do, but that's the very sight of Superman, you know, kind of sitting at a, at a camp meeting. Yeah, is rather humorous. So then we, we cut to another scene, and here we've got two guys who are not very impressed with Mr. Pebble's generosity. And, uh, you know, these guys are down and out because they don't want to do anything honestly. Apparently, the capers have run dry and uh, doing some honest work is is well beyond their motivations. You know, we've seen this before on this show where criminals kind of do what they do because they don't want to work honestly. I mean, we've seen in the aforementioned Money to Burn that Slim basically turned down a huge payday not selling his fireproof suit to some company for the sole reason that it would have been honest. Could you imagine that? The money he made stealing and lost because he wound up going to jail was probably pocket change to what he would have made on the patents for that suit but that would have been honest and he doesn't want to do things honestly so well that's his loss i guess it just makes these the motivations for these criminals just make no sense sometimes apparently uh dan bears such a resemblance to pebble that their plot is going to work out he is going to uh, become mr pebble and try to find the silver mine so Boris pays a visit, visit to Mr. Pebble. You know, what a name for a prospector. How would you like to be a guy uh, mining in rocks and mines and have your name be Pebble? But I'm sure that's why they named him what they named him. So obviously Boris is paying this visit to Mr. Pebble because Pebble and Dobie are both played by the same actor. Why do double exposures and utilize stuntmen if you can avoid it? And, you know, Pebble's a real hillbilly. He's real excited by TV. Apparently he has been, wherever he's been, there's been no TV. So part of his reasons for coming to Metropolis was to enjoy some television. I know a few parents and grandparents who would disagree with that motivation, but, you know, it it is what it is. Television was a pretty big thing in 1958, so it was something people were curious about. And I guess Pebble was. But, when Boris comes in and starts kind of checking out Pebble in a real creepy fashion, and Pebble is so naive that he believes that there's really such a thing as a door-to-door clothes salesman. Maybe that was in 1958, I don't know. But, you get the clearer idea of what's going on when Boris shoves a gun in his face. You know, and those guns are real convincing convincing to these naive characters. And, of course, you know, Boris is going to use the the gun-in-the-pocket trick. You know, an old favorite. We last saw that in the Season 4 episode Jimmy the Kid with, uh... That's how Pruitt got Jimmy Olsen out of the Daily Planet office without anybody being the wiser. In a conversation with Lois, Clark will point out that Pebble didn't reveal where the superman Mine was. And you know what? That may have been the smartest thing this guy's done all episode. I mean, if he had put that right in the paper, there would have been no need for all these hijinks. And, you know, people can't crash the site if they don't know where it is. So, by this point, Dan is in Pebble's apartment. He's going to take Lois's phone call. Now, I can't really say that Dan is real convincing as Pebble, at least in that conversation with Lois. And, you know, I don't think she's going to be real convinced by his performance either. The real Pebble is trapped, meanwhile, in some kind of cave behind a steel door. I will say this, Boris was at least kind enough to leave him a lantern so it doesn't go dark on him. So, back to Lois, who, like I said, was suspicious of what Pebble was speaking. What really clues her into the fact that something may be wrong is that Pebble, who never saw TV in his life, mentioned that he's watching his favorite programs. And she asks a fair question here. How can you have favorite programs if you've never seen them? Clark kind of blows off her concerns, but she's not convinced. Clark's response to her question is basically, if you don't know them, they're all your favorites. It's kind of a weak justification for Clark's position, which I really struggle to understand in this episode. He is... Not at least giving everybody's concerns about Pebbles the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I know Superman likes to, you know, believe the best in everybody. And, you know, that's part of his character. That's what he should do. But if Lois has a concern that something is a myth, he should at least be giving it the uh, benefit of the doubt. So here comes Boris sticking his head into the little cave cell, pretending to be Pebble's son. And I thought this was Dan at first, judging by the suit, but I was wrong, and I'll admit that. Pebble refuses to tell Boris the location of the silver mine, electing to be cold and hungry. And this guy is strong, and he's apparently going to end up being there for weeks without food and water, so he better save his strength. Now Henderson comes into the office and is questioning the uh, legitimacy of Pebble, because he knows of the resemblance to Dan Dobie. I'm not sure how much they know. They should know. Really know about Dobie without having ever arrested him. But they do. They know all about him and his assistant, Bars. Even though they there's no picture of Bars out there, and and he's never been arrested either. So I guess there's a ESP going on in the Metropolis Police Department. So Henderson's concerns lend some credence to Lois's that about Pebble. And you know what? They just kind of grow from here. And Clark is equally dismissive. And you know, kind of as they talk about. Doby who has a plate in his head. Jimmy gets an opportunity to play the dumb kid here, not knowing how someone could have a plate in their head. Apparently Doby was in some kind of car crash, and can you imagine and I'm and I'm not sure what Jimmy was imagining, but can you imagine somebody walking around with like a dinner plate in their head? Imagine the uh plate you had your dinner on and imagine that sticking out of your head. Lois and Jimmy go over to uh, see Pebble at his apartment, and there are a couple problems here that should be immediately noticeable to both Lois and Jimmy, and they are, thankfully. I'm glad they're noticing the problems with Dobie's disguise. First and foremost, the mustache is crooked, and Lois is very sarcastic when she's talking to him. And it really, all that got them was a place in the cell cave with Pebble. Well, at least she found him, and she knows about Dobie, but you know she's not really in any position to do anything about it right now, is she? So, now here is some trouble. Jimmy Olsen's mother calls Inspector Henderson to report Jimmy missing. And suddenly, Clark can't get a hold of Lois. uh So, Henderson's idea is, is that they went out on a story. And, and Henderson, ever as a policeman, still thinks Toby is involved. You know, Clark is still skeptical. And he has no reason not to believe Henderson. And he's continuing to, I don't know, play devil's advocate or just disbelieve it. But, you know, he's... Everyone is expressing concern. And he just ignores it. And I can't really wrap my head around why you would think this is something he'd be very concerned about. And in this one moment, after Henderson suggests Pebble made up a silver mine story for a conversation, Clark says, by golly, you're right. And for some reason, Clark seems like he's being sarcastic, which wouldn't be a character for him. But he does point out the concern he's been having that nobody ever told him where the mine was or produced a deed. So maybe he's coming around, I hope. So Clark is going to check out and see if Pebble has a plate in his head. Henderson asks how he'll see it and mentions if he's gonna use Dexter Vision, just like Superman. You know. Both men treat it as a joke, but I've mentioned before on this show that perhaps Henderson knows and is hinting. You know, we've seen that before, I mean, way back in season one, Henderson has kind of dropped that in the ensuing seasons, but if you remember way back in the third episode of the series, Case of the Talkative Dummy, Lois asks Henderson at one point, where does she think Clark goes at a time? And he says something To the effect of, I don't know, maybe he runs down an alley, takes off his glasses, and turns into Superman. Well, most of the time, that's exactly what Clark does. And again, into season one, during the Czar of the Underworld episode, Henderson and Clark get kind of snared in a little trap. And Clark says he escaped by some trick that Superman showed him. And Henderson says that sometimes he thinks Clark is Superman. So... They've kind of backed Henderson off of that after season one but he, he gets a shot in here that maybe a, a Superman crack in here. So Clark goes to see Pebble and runs at the bars, and this is a humorous scene and both men play it well as Boris tries to get rid of Clark who kind of keeps blowing holes in Boris's excuses <laughs> then Clark and this is really funny. Clark finds the mustache. Boris calls it a lock from the donkey's mane and <laughs> Clark says it looks like his mustache so I think he's trying to figure he started to figure it out here. You try to, uh, picture a donkey's mane shaped like a man's mustache. The thought'll do you some good. Plus, Clark should know it's not Pebble from the minute Boris goes inside to wake him up. The show doesn't show it, but he should have x-rayed the door to see what was going on in that room or at least listen in. There's no reason he can't hear that Boris and Dobie are not Pebble from the conversation they're having. And then... Doby comes out as Pebble. Clark finds a plate in said. head. So basically, what this leads to is Superman following Boris and Doby, and he follows him to the mountain so he can rescue Lois and Jimmy and Pebble. And there's not really much to talk about here, he just he takes care of Boris by slamming him into the steel door, and Doby runs away. And then this is where things get a little weird, as Superman is going to use his magnetic vision. Yep. Season 6 has invented another new superpower as Superman magnetizes a steel pipe and basically uses it to pull Doby up the mountain by the metallic plate in his head. This seems to overcomplicate things in the way that the initial Kirk Allen serial seems to overcomplicate things, but whatever, I guess. The shot of Doby rolling up the hill, which is probably just a reverse shot of someone rolling down the hill, is funny enough that it more than makes up for the weirdness of the Superman magnetic vision. And then we learn that apparently the Crooks were holding them on top of the mine. Of course, they were, and everybody gets a big laugh, and we go to credits. Again, like I mentioned, not really a bad episode, but not one of the best either. I'd give it a solid C. And now we're going to move on to an episode that is a lot of fun. At least least I think it is. So I'm going to take a podcast promo break, and then we're going to come back with The Big Forget. Hang around, folks.
8: The end of the world is approaching. Soon the planet will be engulfed in a nuclear Armageddon. And the only people that can prevent this from happening are considered to be the greatest villains of all time. The only thing standing in their way is the Justice League. In 2005. Uh, Wait a second. Are, Are we sure about that date this time? Yeah, it's 2005. We're sure this time. Let's just be perfectly clear. I hate all of you so much okay good got that all right in 2005 DC Comics began publishing a 12-issue bi-monthly comic called Justice Justice. written by Jim Krueger with art by Alex Ross and Doug Braithwaite this series was essentially a super friends for adults and now another group of super friends has come together to discuss all 12 issues in a podcasting crossover called J.L. May 2017, the excitement begins on the April 30th episode of the Fire and Water podcast, and continues into Supermates, the Idlehead of the podcast, Views from the Long Box, the Pulp to Pixel podcast, the Lantern Cast, the Shazam Cast, Comic Reflections, the Silver and Gold podcast. The Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, and Justice's First Dawn, J.L. May 2017. 2017. Last year, they covered the beginning of the Justice League. This year, they discuss and review the league's toughest battle. The coverage begins on April 30th on the Fire and Water Podcast, located at fireandwaterpodcast.com.
2: All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Big Forget. Original broadcast date was March 17, 1958. Writers were Robert Leslie Bellum and Whitney Ellsworth. Director was Howard Brotherton. Guest cast included Phil Teed as Professor J.J. Pepperwinkle, Herb Vigran as Muggsy Maples, and Billy Nelson as Knuckles Nelson. Now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Daily Planet editor Perry White is fit to be tied with reporters Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen.
6: I did not faint. After all, I'd been awake almost 48 hours. I was tired. I fell asleep. That's right, Jimmy. And when you woke up, you wrote a fine story. How about that? Superman rescues us, captures the crooks, and Miss Lane and I get another scoop. As easy as that.
4: Oh, I'm glad you think it was that easy.
6: Incidentally, Kent, where were you when all this was going on? Oh, gee, now you know that.
5: Yesterday
1: was my day off.
4: Well, I'm sure glad it wasn't Superman's day off.
1: It would be a sorry day for you and Olsen if Superman ever takes a day off. You two couldn't do a thing for yourselves without his help, except maybe get yourselves killed.
4: Suppose we did. A real front page story.
1: There's no use discussing it. It's just not possible.
4: Would it be worth a little raise in the pay envelopes, like that $10 you promised us two years ago?
6: I promised you a raise? Yes, you did, which we never got.
4: If we got the story without Superman's help, how about that raise?
6: Oh,
1: I suppose so.
4: Okay. You heard him, Clark. Let's go, Jim.
1: Just a minute. I have a right to protect my own interests. I want to see this great story from its formative stages. You mean you're going to work with them on the story? That's precisely what I mean. It just happens that I used to be a pretty good working man's reporter myself.
4: Oh, brother. What did you say? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all, Chief. But if you are gonna work with us on this store, you've got to promise one thing.
6: I've got to promise you. Miss Lane's right, Chief. I mean, Mr. White. This time you're gonna have to promise to let us run the show. <laughs> I'm afraid they've got you, Chief. You've made yourself a deal and you're stuck with it.
4: Well, that's settled. Let's get our campaign started. Sure, Miss Lane.
6: And uh, you keep yourself in readiness. We may be needing you.
2: Lois and Jimmy have made a decision. They'll try to get a story on notorious gangster Muggsy Maples, who has recently had his henchman Knuckles Nelson put cement shoes on a reporter from the Gazette and throw him in the river.
7: Wow, Knuckles, did you do like I said with that nosy reporter from the Gazette? I sure did, Muggsy. Right now he's taking a bath in the river. Can he swim?
0: Not unless he can swim with two cement blocks on his feet.
7: Well, that's what he gets for snooping around here after a story. If there's one thing I don't like, it's nosy people. Especially newspaper reporters.
2: Me too. No evidence has been found regarding Mapleson's crimes. Meanwhile, Professor J.J. Pepperwinkle has come to show Clark Kent his latest invention, an anti-memory vapor. Well, Professor
5: Pepperwinkle, how are you, sir? It's been a long time since you've dropped in to see me, sir.
1: Oh, it has? That's odd. I don't remember we ever met before. <laughs> well, won't you sit down, sir? Oh, yes, yeah, sure. yes. Thank you. Thank you.
5: Now, tell me. Have you perfected any new inventions lately?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This.
5: (laughs) What's that? Uh, Dinosaur
1: powder? Uh, No, no. That's anti-memory vapor. One whiff and you can't remember anything that's happened in the last 15 minutes. (laughs) And it's guaranteed to work every time. Have you tried it? Oh, yes, yes. But uh, that didn't prove anything. (laughs) You know, I've got such a bad memory, how can I tell? (laughs) But I, uh, I thought you might uh, test it for me.
5: It, it, it's quite harmless. Well, now, I wouldn't mind, you understand, but I'm afraid I might be immune to it. However, there's Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Oh, they're in Mr. White's office. Do you remember where that is? No. It's just around the corner. Let me show mm. you. Oh, mm-hmm. It's uh, right around the corner. Here, Here's oh. your... You. There we go. To your left, sir. Thank you. Straight Thank you. ahead. Mm-hmm.
2: Not only that the scientists' inventions have been essential in getting stories for the planet in the past, Lois promises Pepperwinkle that the spray will be tested.
1: You haven't turned up any kind of a story since our little deal.
4: Well, we're working on it. In fact, we expect a break any minute now. (laughs) Professor Pepperwinkle. As I say, I don't
6: remember how I came to invent it, but I know that it works. Wait a minute, Professor. This is a brand new conversation. You just came in. Oh, so I did, so I did. Well, anyway,
1: if you'll just let me squish it at you... oh, uh, You won't remember anything that happened in the last 15 minutes. You mean that... Anti-memory vapor. Preposterous. Yes, indeed. Uh,
4: would anyone like to, uh, test it? No, don't <laughs> squish it on me. I'll tell you what we'll do, Professor. Leave it with me, I'll have it tested, give you a full report.
6: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Anti-memory vapor. Oh, man.
4: Well, he's a little eccentric, but some of his inventions have worked in the past.
1: And every time any one of them did work, they caused nothing
6: but trouble for everybody concerned.
4: And got us a good story every time. You mean if
6: this gizmo really works, we might get another story?
4: Well, sure, just like the one on Mugsy Maples.
1: I forbid it. You're not gonna fool around with any goofy inventions or Mugsy Maples.
4: ah, 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 Chief, remember the agreement. No interference.
2: Pretending to be a deaf window washer with a hearing aid, Jimmy has managed to get into Mugsy Maples office in hope of learning the gangster's next move.
0: Oh, it's just sitting around not doing nothing that's getting me down Mugsy. We ain't been able to pull a decent caper since last September.
7: I know, I know, but something will turn up. I got a sneaking hunch our luck's gonna change real fast. Hey, do you really think so? Why sure, it always... Hey, wait a minute you, wait a minute. Where do you think you're going,
0: huh? Oh, a wise guy. Now, look, when I ask you a question, I want a respectable answer, understand? Hello? Hello? My battery must be dead. You mean you don't know what I'm saying to you? Yes, it is nice weather.
7: Now, listen to me, you little weasel. Don't you I... see, Knuckles? He can't listen to you. Now, lay off of him, will you? He's harmless. <laughs> Like I was saying, I got a hunch our luck's gonna change real soon. As a matter of fact, I've been thinking about a little job we might book. Ixnay, boss, Ixnay. Don't spill nothing in front of strangers. Well, you relax? He can't hear us. Uh, you made me forget... Wh- oh, yeah, this is the, the, the job. this is the job I've been casing. There's a financing loan company that's always got about 50, 60,000 bucks in their safe. Hey, that sounds pretty good. Uh, what's the name of the outfit? It's the Acme Loan Company on the corner of 13th and Broadway.
6: Fourteenth in Broadway.
7: Oh yeah, thanks. That's right. Wait a minute. What are you trying to do? So you've been faking, huh? Let me at him. I'll find out what he's up to. Whoa! Okay, Nosey. You gonna come clean or do we cut you down and let you fall? No. That's right. all. I don't cut that rule. Let me in. Now you come clean first. Now tell us what are you doing listening to our conversation? I'm trying to get a story for the Daily Planet. A reporter. All right, come on in here, you. Get down there. Who do you think you are, anyhow? What are you trying to pull? Hey, you know what Muggsy does with reporters? He
6: doesn't do anything to me.
7: One whiff of this
6: anti-memory vapor, and you won't even remember I came in here. Hey, boss, dig him. <laughs> anti-memory vapor. Yeah, it's true. Watch, I'll prove it to you. Whose office is this?
0: What am I doing with these clothes? Hey, he's faking again, boss. Let me knock him off.
7: No, oh, no, wait a minute. Maybe the stuff in that can is for real. Here, let me have it. It's a good thing we got this left over from the time we used tear gas in that bank holdup. up.
0: Hey, cut it out, boss. That stuff might be
7: dangerous. It didn't kill him. Now, hold still. Where am I? Hey, boss,
0: what are you doing with that gas mask on? And who's this guy over here?
7: (laughs) You mean you really don't remember him? I don't even remember coming in here. Neither do I. Lucky for you, you don't. Now, scram out of here. Yes, sir. Goodbye now, whoever you are. In case you're wondering why I turned him loose, he can't do us no damage. Whatever it was he heard us talking about, he don't remember. Well, uh, what was we talking about? I don't remember neither. Really? Means this anti-memory vapor really works. And that means we're going to get away with a perfect crime. Not just one, but dozens of them. Yeah? We're going to rob every big money outfit in this town, starting with the Acme Loan Company and working right up to the national banks. And if there are any witnesses, We just give them one whiff of this and they won't remember what we look like. They won't even remember there was a robbery. Hey, that's pretty good. Yes, sir, Knuckles. With this anti-memory vapor, we're really gonna go to town. Yes, sir. There's only one hitch. What's that? It's empty. How do you like that?
0: Hey, boss, wait a minute. There's something written on the bottom of this thing. Professor J.J. Pepperwinkle, 64 Hope Street, Central,
7: 42768. Here, let me have a What are you going to do, boss? What do you think I'm going to do? Here, hold that, will you?
2: Pretending to be a doctor wanting to use the spray to help sad people forget bad things, Monkey has called the absent-minded scientist for more of his formula. The good professor agrees to give it to the gangster when they pick him up in ten minutes. Perry Lowe's, Jimmy, and Clark have gotten word of the Acme Loan Company robbery. A
1: daylight robbery at the Acme Loan Company. One hundred
2: thousand dollars and they don't even remember how it happened. They
4: don't remember.
1: That means Muggsy Maples must have pulled the job. He must have squirted them with that anti-memory vapor. And it's all your fault!
2: Without anyone knowing, Superman has investigated Professor Pepperwinkle's home and Mugsy Maples' office, which is mere minutes from away from police headquarters. Finding Pepperwinkle gone and a telephone to a private line with no dial or number in Maples' desk, the Metropolis Marvel contacts police inspector Bill Henderson. However, before anything further can be done, Superman must leave. Perry, Lois, and Jimmy have entered to search for evidence of Muggsy Maples' crimes. If they see the last on of Krypton, the chief won't give Lane and Olsen their race. Unfortunately, Muggsy has caught the tree of red-handed.
1: Well, really, there's no need to be alarmed, Miss Lane. These gentlemen are using my anti-memory vapor for the good of mankind.
4: Oh, I'll bet they are.
0: Look... What we want to know is what's the big idea busting in here and frisking the joint. Well, uh, I'll t- I mean
1: to say uh, uh, you can't threaten me with that gun. I'm Perry White, publisher of the Daily Planet.
7: Reporters, huh? Nosy reporters, including our phony window washer friend. Okay, everybody, come on.
4: But where are you taking us? To the country. I got a
7: beautiful place in the country.
2: Henderson has found Lois' handbag in Maple's office. <laughs>
5: Hello, Inspector. Nice of you to come. Is this what you wanted to talk to me about? What's that? Lois Lane's handbag. Well, it wasn't here a little while ago. She must have been here since then. She must have left in a hurry. You suppose Maples has taken her somewhere? Well, if he has, he's got Perry White and Jimmy Olson too. They're all working together. And they're all in danger together. We've got to do something and do it fast. I intend to. But what can we do? There's no telling where he may have taken them. Inspector, this must be the clue that we're looking for. As you can see, this is a private phone. It has no dial and no number. A lot of good that does us. It may do us a lot of good. There's only one reason for Maples to have a private number. It must be a direct connection to some secret hideaway. Isn't that what you'd say? Yes, I'd say that. Now, if we can just trace this connection to its source. Oh, you can't do that. There must be millions of phone lines all through the city. How can you trace any single one of them? By listening. Inspector, here's what I want you to do. Pick up the receiver of this phone and just start talking. Talking to nobody? That's right. I don't care what you say. Just count from one to a hundred, but keep going. Don't stop. But why? Because by using my super hearing, I'm going to follow your voice along the wire. And sooner or later, it has to lead me to the other end of the connection, wherever that is. I see. You really think it'll work? It has to. Let's get started.
2: Two. While Inspector Henderson counts, Superman follows his voice to Mugsy Maples' country home. He assumes the guise of Clark Kent in order to help his friends without Lois and Jimmy losing their race. Now, Kent is also a prisoner in Maples' cellar. The gangster has even mixed a tablet with acid to create a poison gas. What they don't realize is that Clark has broken the door handle. Both Mugsy Maples and Knuckles Nelson are trapped with Professor Pepperwinkle, Perry, Jimmy, Lois, and Clark.
7: Open up! Push it! more hard! Raise or no
6: raise, if we could only get word to Superman. You'll get the raise anyway.
4: <laughs> Superman
1: or no Superman.
4: <laughs> Thanks a lot, Chief. If we ever needed him, we need him now.
5: <laughs> well, there's no point in trying to keep this a secret any longer.
7: I can't believe it. Mr. Kent is Superman. He is? So he is. We <laughs>
5: gotta get him. I think you're going to stay for a while, boys. I sure hope this stuff works.
2: Come on, Junior. We've got work to do. Thanks, Mr. Kent.
5: Come on, Jimmy. Knock the door down. Me? Yes, you. Knock it down. Me? You. Go on. Take a whack at it. (laughs) Try again now. Here we go. (laughs) That boy. Now, go and tie our friends and get them out of here as quick as you can.
2: At the same time, Superman speaks to Inspector Henderson via Maples' private telephone. He tells him where to find Muggsy and Knuckles. However, he also asks Henderson to make a promise. Nobody is to know of Superman's involvement in this adventure. With that, Lois, Perry, Jimmy, and Professor Pepperwinkle are safe, and Muggsy, Maples, and Nelson will spend the rest of their lives in prison. Clark Kent, Lois, Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Professor J.J. Pepperwinkle are in Perry White's office.
6: Let's face it, Chief. Superman didn't rescue us this time. I did. You!
4: Well, like you said, Chief, let's face it. None of us remember anything after we were taken to that place in the car. So Jimmy must have broken his bonds, knocked out the two crooks, knocked on the door, and rescued us.
6: It's not possible. Obviously, the can of anti-memory vapor fell out of Muggsy's pocket when, when I knocked him out. That's why none of us remember anything. But who was the only one that wasn't tied up when we started to come to? You. Ipso facto, I'm your hero. A hero, I might add, with a $10
4: raise? Hey, just a minute. I'm in on that raise department, too, remember?
6: All right, all right.
1: You'll get the raise.
4: Oh, dear, dear, it seems a pity. What seems a pity? That we get a raise?
1: No, I mean, it's a pity I seem to have forgotten the formula for making my anti-memory vapor. I'll never be able to make any more. Don't you think
5: it's a pity, Mr. Kent? Oh, I do, Professor. I do, indeed. There are a great many things it'd be
2: better for people not to remember. You know what? I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I love Professor (laughs) Pepperwinkle. You know, he's just... he's so much fun, and... even though the episodes he's in tend to be a little more on the hokey side, I still enjoy his appearances. And I look back on every episode that he's been in rather fondly. You know, just... Great stuff anytime Professor Pepperwinkle's on the screen. And we're going to get an anti because Professor Pepperwinkle appears quite a bit in Season 6. This is his first of three episodes as we reach toward the end of the series. Actually, he'll be in the very next episode that I'm going to cover to start next week's show. And then he ends the series with all the glitters. So basically what happens is we're going to start with Jimmy Olsen denying that he fainted and was just overtired. I mean, I guess this could have been the end of any episode that just happened. But it's not, obviously it's not. It's something that happened that Superman saved them from. It happened before the episode started, so it's almost as though the ending scene is at the beginning. But either way, Jimmy is denying that he fell asleep. He fainted and was. He's denying that he fainted and he was just overtired. Either way, whatever they were doing, they wound up needing Superman's help. So this is a pretty good opening. It's probably screaming at Lois and Jimmy for not being able to do anything without Superman's help. Apparently they were supposed to get a raise two years ago and they never got it. So they're basically challenging Perry that if they can get an exclusive story on something without the help of Superman, if they'll get that $10 raise. Perry agrees to the challenge on the condition that Perry work with them because he kind of wants to either protect his investment or see the story from the beginning. One of the two. Either way, he's going to kind of tag along with them. But the rub is that Lois and Jimmy are going to... Kind of being, they're going to run the show and Perry's kind of going to have to follow their orders. And this would have ordinarily been a sight to see, but we really don't get much of this. I mean, we get Perry kind of tagging along with Lois and Jimmy, but we really don't see any indication that Lois and Jimmy are giving Perry any kind of orders. So Clark goes into his office and he overhears Lois and Jimmy talking about going after Muggsy Maples. Allegedly, he's the biggest crook in Metropolis these days. And Clark gets a nice uh, smile as he listens to them. So, he, you know, he's going to do what he can. He's going to help them along. But he's going to try to do it on the sly so Superman doesn't have to uh, cost them their raise. You know, it's something Superman would do. If there's ever a time when he has to help from the shadows, he will do that as well. So next we get to meet Muggsy and his henchman knuckles. This is almost like an all-star lineup of, of Adventures of Superman Heavies. As we get her, Vigran, who's been in and out of episodes since season one. And Billy Nelson, who I believe made his first appearance in season two so these are you know some of the show's more memorable villains and you know I just enjoy watching these guys work whenever they're on the screen you know coming into this episode I kind of realized while we've seen Vigran kind of on and off throughout the series I don't remember when the last time we saw Billy Nelson was so seeing him back here in the sixth season is definitely a welcome sight. Now, the first thing Muggsy does is he asks Knuckles if he took care of that reporter from the Gazette. And Knuckles says he did. He's taken a nap at the bottom of the river with cement shoes. So, just knowing that Muggsy and Knuckles have just taken care of a reporter, this doesn't seem to uh, bode well for our two reporters as they try to get their raise at the expense of Mugsy Maples. And then almost immediately, things will start to get humorous as Professor Pepperwinkle wanders into Clark's office. Clark says it's been a long time since they've seen each other and Pepperwinkle doesn't believe they've met each other before. And here he is with the You Forget Me spray. And I'm glad the show is self-aware enough to point out that Pepperwinkle has a horrible memory. Apparently it's written into his character. And that's something that's going to be played up going forward in the next episode where Pepperwinkle appears. You're going to see that he doesn't really remember Lois and Jimmy. Clark kind of shoos Pepperwinkle away and he sends him into Perry's office and uh, Jimmy hilariously runs away. He doesn't want to get uh, sprayed by anything. Uh, perhaps he is wary from some of Professor Pepperwinkle's previous inventions. You know, things that have turned him upside down and caused varying degrees of trouble. So either way, Perry is just believing that uh, Pepperwinkle's spray can do what he says it does but lois thinks it may lead to a good story uh, you can wave any just about anything in front of lois and she'll think it has the potential to be a good story so we'll just leave that there knuckles and mugsy are apparently pretty bored and here comes jimmy as a window washer and this is a funny bit anytime jimmy has to put on on disguise and pretend to be something other than jimmy olsen it's a sight to see and here he is at his window washer get up he's got a hearing aid in so he's apparently pretending to be deaf which would give a uh, Obviously, it's going to give the criminals the freedom to talk. And he mentions that his hearing. He doesn't have the battery. But in the physical comedy between Billy Nelson and Jack Larson is great. Knuckles is pointing at him and yelling at him and shaking him. And all the while Jimmy is screaming at the top of his lungs, pretending to be deaf. If you haven't watched this episode, you're doing yourself a disservice. And you need to sit down and watch this. Because honestly, me talking about it can only take you so far. So Jimmy uh, hangs himself out the window to do a wash. And of course, Jimmy is going to screw up as he corrects the location of the bank they're going to rob, saying they say it's at 13th and Broadway, Jimmy points out that it's 14th and Broadway, which kind of indicates to them that he's not deaf. and It would indicate to anybody who's paying any kind of attention. So Jimmy's going to get out of this by deploying the anti-memory vapor, and, of course, in typical Jimmy fashion, he sprays himself, and then ends up having no idea where he is. You know, just funny, funny, funny. If anything, this episode brings the funny in ways that few episodes do. I think... This is my favorite among the Professor Pepperwinkle episodes. There's just nothing in this episode that I don't like. And what happens later at the end, two things really at the end, the Inspector Henderson counting and obviously Clark revealing himself to be Superman is something that's very memorable from my childhood. Back to the show, the memory vapor gives Muggsy an idea. But it turns out the can is empty because of course it is. But fortunately, Professor Pepperwinkle left his name and address and phone number on the can. So basically, he left a dog tag on it. And like I said, this scene was just funny and basically what we've come to expect from not only Jack Larson, but Billy Nelson and Herb Vigrant as well. So now we're back to uh, Pepper Winkle and, you know, I continue to love watching Phil Teed as this character. So Perry gets a call that Muggsy robs a bank and no one remembers what happened. That it's all Jimmy's fault. John Hamilton yelling at Jack Larson never gets old. So Superman goes to Muggsy's office and then he leaves Lois Perry and Jimmy arrive there. I get Superman found the memory vapor in the trash can, so that sends him over to the professor. Superman drops in on Pepperwinkle, and he can't find him either. Now, here's an interesting thing that happens here. He calls Inspector Henderson to meet him at Muggsy Maples' office, but apparently Bill is busy with something. He's not jumping for Superman here. No idea why. Superman even points out that police headquarters is around the corner. He can be there in two minutes, but... Obviously, we know that the reason is because of plot. We need what's going to happen next in Mugsy's office to not happen with Superman there. So that's why Superman doesn't meet Henderson there for a half hour. So Mugsy walks in on the planet staff in his office and Pepper is so naive that he still thinks they're doctors. <laughs> and I love how when they point to Jimmy at the fake window washer, he just waves at him. You know, like he's taking a bow. Yeah, that's me. I blew my cover before. I'm an idiot. And he's owning up to that, so I guess that's good. Despite Perry's jawing, they get taken to the country. And then Bill shows up at Muggsy Maples' office, and and he finds what I presume is Lois' purse. He has another problem. And obviously the answer here is also because of plot. Bill said he would meet Superman there in a half hour. Why doesn't Superman go straight there and wait? If he had, he would have caught Muggsy in the act. Instead, he just kind of goofed off for a half hour or so they can get caught. I'm not really liking that, but I can see why he's doing it. He's staying out of sight so Lois and Jimmy can get their raises, but you know what? He's putting everybody in danger by playing somewhat fast and loose with their lives here. I mean, he could have gone, he could have hovered around, watched the place, and then followed them without Henderson being any to the wiser. You wouldn't need Henderson to sit there and count later. And, like I said, the counting is something I remember for a long time. Henderson counting is Superman traced the phone line. The phone is kind of a two-way radio, so it only goes to one place and superman follows it to its source which is the house that mugsy drove them to and here we go again clark knocks on the door to protect lois and jimmy's rays but he winds up tied up in the cellar as henderson continues to count he's just past 400 here so mugsy is going to gas them and clark has no way out but there is memory vapors so we all know where this is going don't we now if you're paying attention you saw clark break the handle and then you know, after he's tied up and the groom has started to fill with gas, Clark decides it's no use keeping it a secret any longer. And he, in a nice shot, he busts out of the ropes on the chair and changes into Superman right in front of everyone. And, you know, I know, like, shirt rips and showing the change is not something this show did. But if this show wanted to do one, at least a real shirt rip, this was the episode if any, to do that. Because he's doing it right in front of everybody. He's not hiding, so. And then we get the reactions. Perry can't believe it. Jimmy is exuberant, and he just kind of says, Mr. Kent is Superman. You know, as if it's something that he has suspected for a long time. And he probably has. He's been in on a lot of those attempts with Lois to prove that Clark is Superman. So he really enjoyed seeing Clark change into Superman there and kind of prove him and Lois right. But what I would have liked to have seen was more of an expression on Lois's face during the revelation. You know, she kind of does a double take when Clark escapes the chair, but not much else. For someone who, for season two, has been working very hard to prove that Clark Kent is Superman, you would think you would kind of get more of a grin kind of seeing that she was right all along. I really wanted to see more of a reaction from Noel Neal in that moment. I mean, it was the only moment this show was ever going to give her like that, and she kind of wasted it. You know, so I guess the fumes were getting in the way of her excitement. So Superman approaches both Muggsy and Knuckles and he gives them one hell of a slap on the back and knocks them out cold and he grabs the memory vapor and he kind of sticks it on a chair between everybody so they can kind of get up in the air and make everybody forget what's going on. You know, you don't have to worry about your secret identity if you can erase everybody's memory after, f- after a few minutes with some spray, which is probably why Clark allowed himself to be captured. Now he took a risk that the memory vapor wouldn't work, but... Because it's unclear to him whether or not it would work. As he says, I sure hope this works. I don't know what he would have done if it didn't work. I guess he would have gone on with the people who do know, knowing that he's Superman. But as this show needs to reset the status quo at the end of every episode, they will not retain their knowledge of Clark Kent's secret identity. You kind of knew they weren't. And that right there is truly the big forget. Every member of the main cast, save for Henderson, for a few minutes knew that Clark Kent was Superman. And they don't get to retain that knowledge. The big, like I said, the big forget right there. So now after that, we get a fun exchange of Superman and Jimmy. Notice Superman only unties Jimmy here. Superman tells Jimmy to knock the door down, just take a whack at it, and uh, Jimmy fails at the first attempt. But on the second try, Superman pushes the door down as Jimmy hits it, and kind of Jack Larson kind of falls on his face a little bit, like he didn't get hurt there. And we know it's Jack Larson going through that steel door because. There were no cuts in that scene. It's all one continuous take, as happens a lot. So, if they screwed that up, they probably weren't refilming it. But you know it's Jack Larson when he goes into the door, and you know, and Jack Larson comes right back in the same shot. So, there's no stuntman here, folks. Jack Larson did that. And while Jimmy is saving everybody, Superman blows the gas back into the pellet and runs off. You know, he again has to go into hiding to protect the rays for Lois and Jimmy. And <laughs> Bill Henderson, meanwhile, is putting himself to sleep with his counting as he's up to 715 at this point. And Superman just starts laughing when he hears Bill. This kind of laugh tells me that he's shocked Bill is still counting, or that he forgot that Bill was there counting. Well, either way, though, George Reeves looks like he's having a lot of fun in this sequence. And anytime I see the actor who's playing Superman having a lot of fun in his job, I'm a happy guy. So this ending is pretty good, too, as Jimmy is trying to convince them all that He was the big hero, despite the fact that no one actually remembers what was going on. They just kind of remember that Jimmy was the only one loose when they started remembering things again. Perry either can't or is unwilling to believe it. But, you know, they get their raise and Pepperwinkle, well, he forgot the formula and can't remember how to make any more of it. Kind of a pity for Superman. It was quite helpful to him. So, despite the title, this is a memorable episode, especially for the scene in which Clark reveals himself. This was the only episode in which he could because of the anti-memory spray. But since this episode was based around the invention, I'm not going to complain too much about the trick using to erase Superman's memory. That's that. Next time, Bob Fisher will be back on the show and we're going to discuss Professor Pepperwinkle's next invention, the gentle monster. And then we're going to meet Superman's wife. And if you'd like to leave me any feedback... On anything you've heard on this episode or on any other episode, you can email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation on the Facebook group. Just search for the Man of Screen podcast in your Facebook feed and the search will still come up. You can also find me on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And you can find the homepage for this show at www.2truefreaks.com. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen Podcast. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright, they're original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www2 If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the 2 True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual, and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com, and you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen podcast.